Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. How are you doing? What a fantastic, blissful, joyous time of year for children, isn't it? It's fantastic, carefree, nothing really going on. Um, I remember some of the best Christmases in my entire life. I was small. So if you would, let's roll back some decades, maybe three ish. We're not going to say too many. Uh, but say like mid-80s. Uh, my, my muffler tradition, my muffler family tradition was, was, a, was a blast. We would, my sister and I would wake up super early, walk into, run into our parents' room, quietly, gently, lovingly, respectfully wake them up, and say, it's Christmas, let's do this, here we go, let's go. And they would, of course, yell at us to go back to bed, it's 4.30, and we would pretend to go back into our rooms and go to sleep, and we would do this about every 15 minutes until they reluctantly got up. We would go downstairs, and there would be the Christmas tree, and we had gifts under the Christmas tree, and, and we would have, um, the very first thing we would do is make breakfast burritos. No, not a tradition in your home <laughs> for Christmas morning? That's okay, that's all right, it was a muffler thing. Um, we would have this big, giant breakfast that was so good. We would spend time together as a family, mom, dad, Kathy, and myself, and then we would open gifts. It was so much fun. And then we took showers. We got dressed quickly, jumped in the car, and drove. We, we had the blessing of being um, in the same town as pretty much the rest of my entire family. So we would run over to my mom's parents, Grandma and Grandpa Spitznagel, and we would have a big lunch and we would spend time with family, and then we would open presents. And then when we rush right over to Grandma and Grandpa Muffler's house, and you guessed it, we had a huge dinner. And we spent time with cousins and aunts and uncles, and we had such a good time, and we opened gifts. Family, food, repeat. Family, food, presents, repeat. And this was my day. As a kid, this was fantastic. All the food I can eat, all the family that I loved, and people shoving gifts in my face. It was bliss. It was perfect. As a matter of fact, it was so much food and planned to the point that we knew that if we filled up in one spot, we wouldn't have the good stuff for the next. So we didn't have to eat those pesky, you know, vegetables or fruit or non-cookie-related items. It was ham and sugar. It was fantastic. Christmas is such a wonderful time as a kid. And then I grew up, and then I got married, and there's responsibilities, and Christmas took on something a little different. I, I am blessed to have family in Missouri. I have family in South, uh, South Carolina. Uh, we're, we're in different time zones, but in all honesty, there's a lot of moving pieces now to the muffler Christmas. We would love to spend time with everyone on the same day or even the same weekend, but unfortunately, it's it's just not possible. So that tension in my heart of, I want to spend Christmas with my mom. I want to spend Christmas with my sister, with Stacy's parents, with her family, my family in St. Louis. We just can't. And then we have these, these kiddos that we love so much. And sticking them in a minivan and driving eight hours seems like a great idea on paper, right? But it's hard. Sometimes Christmas is stressful. Matter of fact, it's not just family. It's not just who am I going to spend time with? Who do I get to have the joy to spending Christmas with? It's, it's now the financial stress of, oh, that's right. Mom's not going to buy me gifts, put my name on it, and give it to my cousin. That's kind of on me now. There's some financial stress that goes with it. And if you're anything like me, Christmas 
threatens to steal the joy right out of our lives. The, the, the one time of the year that we would think joy is just abundant all around us, this beautiful, wonderful, intense feeling of bliss, it becomes stressful. It becomes painful. Matter of fact, Christmas is often not a joy for a lot of people. Now, I know I can, my complaints are, oh, I get to see family, or I don't get to spend a ton of time. Matter of fact, one of my small complaints in life is, I'm lucky enough to be here at Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. I've been on staff for almost five years. I've never been to a Christmas Eve service. I've never been to a Christmas service. I've always been in a different time zone. This is the family that, that I work with every day, that, that we struggle. This is my family slash work um, colleagues that we're running after Jesus Christ and creating all these opportunities for people to grow in Christ. My heart is like, I want to be here, but I need to be over there. It's petty, but at the same time, that's, that's where my heart is. You know, Christmas is not joyful for a lot of people. Matter of fact, Christmas is the time where we remember our loved ones that are really no longer with us. Now, every day our heart breaks for broken marriages, broken relationships, losing a spouse, losing a child, losing a parent. Every day that hurts. But Christmas, I feel like it's magnified. That pain, that brokenness is magnified. It's, we're reminded that they're no longer there with us. Relationships are stressed out between family or straight up loneliness. There are commercials all over the internet right now that says, hey, if you have huge stress in your family because of the political system and how people voted and the conversations that's gonna happen, hang out in Target's parking lot. Take a break, take a breather. So when we're so stressed out with our family, it doesn't really bring us joy. Matter of fact, there's so many of us that don't have a lot of family to run to in this time. Unfortunately, Christmas, the end of December, is the highest statistical suicide rate of the entire year. Again, the time when we think we should have so much joy, so much abundant happiness because of celebrating Christmas and the Savior in our lives. It's some of the darkest times because of these stress. Now, we're in our third week of our series of Advent. Advent is a celebration of the arrival of Jesus Christ into this world. Um, Tom started a few weeks ago with hope, hope that only Jesus can provide us. Last week was peace, peace that only God could provide in these troubled times. And today we're talking about joy this morning, just for a few minutes, and how in this season we need to be focused on the delight we find in Jesus Christ. Now Webster defines joy as a source or cause of pleasure or delight. Something or someone greatly valued or appreciated in a state of happiness. There are a few things in our lives that we could probably point to and say that brings us joy. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's a, a relationship that you look on and lean on and say, wow, this brings me hope. This brings me joy. This brings me bliss. Now that's kind of a worldly definition, but as followers of Christ, and I'm making the assumption on eight o'clock on a very cold, dark morning, you're here to hear about Jesus Christ. You're, you're either A, you've been a follower of Christ for a while, or maybe you're new here and saying, I don't know exactly what's going on with faith, but I want to ask some questions. But I would think from a Christian perspective, an insider's perspective, what is joy? Jesus is our redeemer. If we can wrap joy up in just one simple sentence, Jesus is our savior. God thought so much of his creation. He looked at us and said, yes, they're messed up. Yes, they're sinful, but I love them so much. I have a salvation plan. And Jesus was that plan. Our Messiah, 
our Lord, our Redeemer. Joy comes from that fact. Not necessarily the security we have in our 401k. Not necessarily the security we have in our family relationships or our jobs or our convenience of, of a modern life. But we find joy in Jesus. Now we're going to look a little bit this morning, God's word, and see if we can't walk away with a better understanding of joy in this Christmas season. Now joy gives us a few things that kind of plays out in our life. Joy is a spiritual gift. Um, it, it provides fruit and you can kind of see other people's joy as ripening fruit or sometimes dead fruit on the tree. But it, it gives us a few things when we have joy in our lives. The first one is perspective. Now I'm male and I'm sorry. I have a difficult time with this. I come from the show me state. That's our motto. Like Missouri's like, yeah, I don't believe you. You've got to show me. But in all reality, I don't know how many times in life I've walked into a situation thinking, I'm, I'm very sure what's happening here. I know exactly what's going on. And then somebody taps me on the shoulder gently and says, how about you take a step back and maybe stand in my shoes? That story that you just saw, maybe that, that thing that you, you're, you're so opinionated about, take a step back and see it from my perspective. Let me give you my history. Stand in my shoes. And my perspective changes. I go from thinking for sure I know exactly what's going on to, oh, looking at it from a different perspective really changes. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distress, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, and hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in right hand and left, through the glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine, yet regarded as imposters, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we still live on, beaten and not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing in the poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing everything. He's telling us here that perspective is, is difficult. It's painful sometimes. Paul is saying here that there has been so much that has happened to him and these early believers of Christ that they say he has nothing but yet he has everything. How can that be? That makes no sense. How can we have nothing yet everything? When everything is stripped away, when he was beaten and flogged, when we are mistreated because of the name of Jesus Christ and we've been made fun of because of our faith. Paul says we have nothing but we have everything when we put our joy firmly rooted in Jesus Christ, they can do anything to us. Anything in this world can happen to us. The winds can change, but we still find bliss in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's another one. Um, humility. Romans 4, 7 says this. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. I love that verse. I absolutely love it because I'm in that boat you and I are in that boat. God looked at us and said, yeah, they need help. And because I can call them sons and daughters, I'm giving them Jesus. Our joy is not circumstantial. It is not, I'm a good person because God needs to love me. You're welcome, Jesus, for dying on the cross. You're right. You're, thank you. No, it's not. You and I in here right now, this morning, we are all broken people. And a little humility goes a long way. Because Jesus loved us so much, we have the bliss 
that comes in, that delight that comes in because we were chosen. Not because we've earned it, because we were given this. Humility goes a long way on the outside. When we look at other people, maybe outside of this wall, in our communities, in our country, maybe even in the, around the world, and we say, oh wow, their actions are deplorable. Jesus died for them to give them an opportunity to be part of his family. Humility goes a long way with joy. Now, there is a few enemies of joy, and we, we find some of these in the Christmas season. Um, the mufflers did something radical for Thanksgiving. Uh, we did not have green bean casserole. We took a vote. Um, all of us, except for one person, said, we, we make it and we eat it because it's there. One person's like, we like it. We kicked them out of the family. It's fine. Uh, we had sweet potato casserole. It was so much better, right? In some families, there might be a riot, some families might be torn apart. No green, green bean casserole. She didn't come here. They didn't send this letter. There are some times in life where this season can rob us of our joy. And here are some enemies. Number one, we focus on ourselves and our circumstances to bring us happiness. When things go well for us, we'll be pleasant. We'll be happy. But I tell you what, if you get in the way of my happiness, you're dead to me. When circumstances are beneficial for me and my family, man, I'm, I'm, I'm great, I'm happy, this is fantastic. But when we start living a life of self-centeredness, we no longer live a life of Jesus Christ, and that joy is threatened. Number two, um, negative close relationships. Have you ever been in a relationship with family or friend, and that person is just as negative as they could possibly be? How dare there not be green bean casserole. How dare they didn't bring jello with the weird fruit floating in it. Whatever the situation is, how dare they do this? It's always negative, it's always critiquing. Have you been a part of a relationship like that? It sucks the joy right out of your soul. Another one, overwhelmed with sin and guilt. I feel like sometimes in Christmas, because we're with family, because we're celebrating uh, Jesus Christ the worst can come out of us because sometimes we hide this sin, this guilt, this frustration. As human beings, nobody likes to admit they're wrong, but man, clearly Jesus points us to confession. When we hide all the garbage in our life without confessing, without praying, without going to someone else and saying, hey, would you please help me along this path? Would you please help me be a better follower of Christ? Can you please keep me accountable? Sometimes we hold that in and it just erupts into bringing others pain, pointing out others' problems instead of pointing out our own. Now here is a little story that kind of sums up a lot of this. Um, and it's one of my favorite uh, books in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite uh, examples of how life isn't a Disney ending all the time. Jonah uh, is a prophet. Matter of fact, he is in the God business. He loves the fact that he has the opportunity to do God's work. But something crazy happens. God taps Jonah on the shoulder and says, I want you to do the impossible. You're going to be a part of something that is basically a miracle. I want you to go to Nineveh. It's the enemy of God. They cannot stand God's people. And I want you to do something crazy. I want you to explain to them that there is a creator that loves them. Explain to them that there are expectations. If you want to be in God's family, you got to treat each other well and love each other. And Jonah looks at God and says, no, this is not a good decision. You're obviously off. And if you've been to church a few times, you know that Jonah actually turns left instead of right, goes as far away from Nineveh as he possibly can. God picks him up, turns him around, and literally spits him out on the beach. 
says, you will do this. Jonah does what God commands, walks into Nineveh and preaches and teaches and says, there is a God and there is a way back to him. And something ridiculous happens in Jonah's life. You would think when hundreds, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people respond positively to that message, they could have kicked him out. They could have put him in jail. They could have, they could have stoned and killed him, but they didn't. God was merciful and they picked it up and said, yes, we need to change our lives. We need to uh, adjust accordingly to this God's love. We find Jonah throwing a temper tantrum. He's sitting on a hill looking at God and he says, so he complained to the Lord about it in Jonah 4.2, complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this? Lord, that is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love, you are eager to turn back from destroying people. Whatever happened between Jonah and the people of Nineveh, whatever happened, the pain, the frustration, the anger that's come out, whatever damage has happened to Jonah, he looked at God and said, I, I, I knew you would save them. I knew you would fall in love with them. And I can't stand those people. They have wronged me and I don't want that. When we live a life of self-centeredness, we are no longer a part of God's plan. We no longer can find joy and happiness in God's uh, creation and or what he's doing. Matter of fact, he ends up in Jonah 4, 5 through 8, sitting on a hill, hoping for the worst, and basically throwing a temper tantrum and saying, I can't stand what you're doing over there. I cannot, I cannot possibly live in this situation. Throws a temper tantrum and says, I'd rather die. Because of Jonah's living for self-centered nature. There's no joy. There's no excitement. There's no happiness rooted in God. It's only rooted in the circumstances that are pushing and pulling him. Now, there are uh, some positives to this. There's some protectors of joy that we need to stand up in this Christmas season and be a fantastic example for and our fruit to others. Um, there needs to be a strong trust that God is in control. And that's, that's not easy. Matter of fact, let me give you a little bit of scripture here. Acts 16, 22 through 25, we see Paul and Silas on the second missionary journey, and things aren't going well. 22 says, the crowd joined the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer commanded the guard them carefully. When he received his orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. Okay, so not, not going well, right? <laughs> Things are, are going sideways in Paul and Silas. What would our reaction to be if we were publicly stripped, beaten, and thrown in jail for our faith? A little frustration, a little anger, maybe a fist toward God saying, hey, 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 this is not right. This does not help my happiness. Here's what happens with Paul and Silas, and this is amazing, but midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Why do you think that reaction happened? Why do you think Paul and Silas's first reaction was an anger or frustration or, oh, woe is me, God. I, I, I guess this is just the lot you have for me. But they are overwhelmed with happiness and joy because of their relationship with the Father. Their relationship through Jesus Christ. Their natural reaction here was not to blame someone else. Their natural reaction was not to say, my circumstance dict dictate my happiness, but my joy is rooted in my relationship with Jesus, knowing that he is my redeemer, knowing that he is my Lord, and they do something maybe I wouldn't do. They start singing. 
And other people start hearing this. The other prisoners, uh, to make a long story short, there's an earthquake, they get out. Uh, people come to Jesus uh, in waves. Large quantities of families say, Jesus is a big deal because of this reaction. Your joy, my joy can be a magnet for non-believers. Because of this love, because of this grace, because of our natural reaction to the happiness that we find only in Jesus and not in our circumstances, joy can be a magnet for those looking for true joy instead of just circumstantial happiness. The next one is refresh yourself with the wonder of Jesus' birth. If you're anything like me, Christmas is once a year. I know the story. I like the story but sometimes the story kind of gets lost on me. Anything like me? Luke 2, 10 through 12. It's difficult to put our shoes, our feet in the shoes of shepherds because most of us in here don't have sheep. And if you do, ah, it's Bloomington, have fun. Luke 2, 10 through 11 says this, but the angel said to them, angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. All people, all time, all nations, this entire earth throughout humanity and history. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah of the Lord. Can you imagine the wonder of that angel standing, floating, riding a bicycle? I have no idea what was happening there. But these men falling to their knees in fear, and this angel says, don't be afraid. Something amazing has happened. It will change the course of history. Can we get back to the wonder, the mystery of Jesus? Look at the story and say, wow, virgin birth. Wow, a king born in a manger, in a barn. Can we imagine this? The wonder of God's salvation plan in flesh that loved us so much. He said, here, this is my son. The wonder of it all. I'm not anti-traditions. I'm not anti the fun of Christmas. But I'm going to call us. Call us out and say, where's our wonderment when it comes to Jesus being given to us? Let me wrap this up. Here are a few tips that might make sure that we're living an attitude of joy this Christmas that's rooted in Jesus Christ. Jesus, our Redeemer. Number one, admit to what threatens your joy. Have a conversation with somebody that you trust and really speak out loud what threatens your joy, what threatens your fruit of the spiritual gift of joy. Maybe it's a brother-in-law, like me. No, I'm just kidding. It's two brother-in-laws. Anyway, maybe it's family. Maybe it's stress. Maybe, to be very honest, guys, maybe it's financial. This is a time of great stress when it comes to finances. Most of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, and then all of a sudden, about every 12 months, we throw in the obligation to buy gifts for everybody we know, love, and people we don't even like. Maybe it's just financial stress, but until you confess that, until you get someone else on board with that journey with you, it is going to ruin and threaten your joy. And the next one is stay in the story. I know this is so cliche. Remember the reason for the season. Christmas trees are great, whatever. Lights, decorations, family, all the beautiful, wonderful ham that we eat, it's great. But let's remember the reason for the season. Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus has saved us from ourselves. And when we stay in the story, 
we live a life of joy. We live in a life of abundant happiness, not based on our circumstances, but based on who we are, who we are in Jesus Christ. So my encouragement for that is through all the rough times that are coming and all the joyous, wonderful, blessed times that are coming in the next few weeks, walk in joy. Walk in the understanding that Jesus is our Redeemer, our Savior, and our Lord. Let me pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we give you glory and honor for the opportunity to gather to celebrate your son, Jesus Christ. He's the big deal. Not the season, not the traditions, not even family and food and gifts. Father, he is the reason why we can proclaim we are saved. We are loved. We are chosen. And we, we bring you glory and honor for his love on that cross that made sure that we could be connected with you. Father, as we go through this difficult time, a time that we think should be abundant uh, of joyous occasions, help us understand there is going to be things that's going to threaten this fruit, threaten, the, threaten this joy in our lives. Help us, Father, navigate so that we can be a magnet of happiness to others, that people don't see just our circumstances, but look at us strangely and say, why are they so full of joy? So that we can be a magnet for others, maybe outside of the church, outside of the faith situation. God, we bring you glory and honor because Jesus is a big deal. Amen.